Saka has to score. It's saved by Donnarumma. And it's Italy who are the champions of Europe. Penalties prove to be the dagger in English hearts once more. Hello, welcome to Years of Her, a Euro 2020 podcast with me, Richard Carey, and that name does seem very significant today. And we can still call it that after last night's result. Have to add another year to the Years of Hurt counter. The Euros are over, which means we need to go with little to no football for four weeks and pick ourselves up off the floor after last night. We have the post-mortem of England versus Italy, the Euro 2020 final, coming up on the show. Plus, you've been voting on Twitter over the weekend at YOH Euros, and I will be revealing the winners of the Years of Hurt Euro 2020 awards. So we're going to start with the news, and unfortunately the events around last night's game are pretty bleak. Before the match, a small number of fans without tickets broke into Wembley as they pushed through the barricades. Footage within the stadium showed fans fighting in corridors. It seems like the fans overpowered police and security staff, as there might not have been enough staff to deal with the situation. A Wembley Stadium spokesperson said there was a breach of security and a small group of people got into the stadium. We are now working closely with the stadium stewards and security to remove these people. Anyone inside the stadium without a ticket will be instantly ejected. During the day, the police made 49 arrests and 19 officers were injured in the process. Also, before the match, there was a gathering of fans in Leicester Square who threw bottles and missiles and left a lot of rubbish in their wake. There were a few crap windows as well. There was even footage of a man putting a flare up his own arse. Not something I would do. Things also kicked off at Trafalgar Square as fans tried to break into the fan zone there. After the match, as the players who missed England's penalties, Rashford, Sancho and Saka, happened to all be black, they received racist abuse on social media. Both the FA and Boris Johnson have condemned the abuse. The FA said it was appalled by the online racism and added... We could not be clearer that anyone behind such disgusting behaviour is not welcome in following the team. While the Prime Minister said this England team deserved to be lauded as heroes, not racially abused on social media, those responsible for this appalling abuse should be ashamed of themselves. This coming from a guy who said fans could boo England for taking a knee, which is obviously a gesture that's anti-racist. Pretty damn rich for Mr Boris Johnson saying this when he's completely stoked it all up over the last five years and what he's been doing since Brexit. It all makes you think that maybe England didn't really deserve to win the Euros after all, you know, with fans like that. If you can call them fans, I'm pretty sure UEFA are going to punish the England team directly with uh, maybe playing games behind closed doors or fines or whatever because they have no idea how else to solve the problem and obviously it's not really England's fault. I mean, you could potentially blame Wembley for not having enough staff or police to control the situation but apart from that you know uh, it is English fans doing this people have been talking about social media companies and how their platforms make it easy for people to post racist comments behind anonymity although some people decide to use their real names like that bloke who works slash worked at Savills the problem of racism in this country has been fueled again by Brexit and a right-wing Tory government who've used it to create division pass the blame and to get elected But with or without this government, I get it, there would be racists. But their actions have legitimised this and made it like a thing that's okay. You know, that's the problem with the lack of leadership on this front. 
let's concentrate on what happened on the pitch as we have a look at the result of the Euro 2020 final. Italy 1, England 1. Italy won 3-2 on penalties. There are tears in the eyes of Giorgio Chiellini who will walk up and get his hands on the Henri Delaunay trophy. Carried across to his victorious, grinning ear-to-ear teammates. Can't help but feel pleased for him. He deserves the big prizes like this. Italy are the champions of Europe. So on Sunday night, it was Italy versus England at Wembley to decide the winner of Euro 2020. Let's have a look back at how both teams got to the final. England started out in Group D, their opening match they beat the team that knocked them out of the 2018 World Cup, Croatia 1-0. England had a pretty tricky 0-0 draw with Scotland before winning their final match against the Czech Republic 1-0. In knockout stages they had a tough draw against Germany in second round but won 2-0, then followed by a comfortable win against Ukraine 4-0 in Rome. Back to Wembley for the semi-finals, England just got past Denmark after extra time 2-1. Italy played in the very first game of this tournament as Andrea Bocelli sang Nessun Dorme before their win against Turkey when they won 3-0. The Italians continued their dominance in Rome against Switzerland with another 3-0 win before rounding off the group with a 1-0 win over Wales. In the knockout stages they struggled a bit against Austria but got through 2-1 after extra time. They also beat Belgium 2-1 thanks to a class goal from Insignia and drew 1-1 after extra time with Spain but won 4-2 on penalties. So would the Italians win a European Championship for the first time since 1968 or could England end 55 years of hurt and win a major tournament? So in the match, England had a counter-attack. Kane played it wide to Trippier. Trippier picked out the runner short into the box. He was unmarked. His shot went off the post and in. One new England in this two minutes. Absolutely the perfect start for the Free Lions. Chiesa managed to get past Rice. His shot from distance with his left foot went wide. Shaw crossed the ball low, but Mount couldn't get on the end of it. Verratti had a shot, but it was straight at Pickford. In the second half, Sterling went down the box. Bonucci perhaps slowed him down a little bit, but maybe Sterling going down a little bit easy for the penalty against Denmark has affected his chances of getting a penalty again. Chiesa's cross was blocked, but it fell to Insigne. His shot was from a tight angle and saved by Pickford. Chiesa went on a winding run. His low shot was well saved by Pickford. England had a corner, Trippier whipped it into stones, but Donnarumma got a hand to it. I think it was going over anyway. Italy had a corner and it turned into an absolute scramble. Chrysanth headed it on at the front post. It fell to Verratti at the back post, but his header was saved by Pickford. But the ball fell to Bonucci, who stuck it in the net 1-1. Italy got the equaliser, which was definitely coming. Bonucci played a ball over the top to Berardi. His volley was over the bar as Pickford tried to challenge for the ball. Saka's shirt was yanked back by Cellini. It looked like Saka might be in on goal as well. Cellini was booked for that. Well, it was at least a booking, really. And at full time, it was Italy 1, England 1, which means we needed extra time. In extra time, the ball fell to Phillips after a corner. His low shot went wide. Could have done with a deflection on that one. Emerson whipped the ball into the box and Pickford bravely punched the ball away before Bernadeschi could get to it. Bernadeschi had a free kick from distance, had a bit of swerve on it, so even though it was straight at Pitford, he wasn't able to catch it first time. 
Kane crossed the ball into Stones, but he missed it, and any kind of touch with that with his head was going into the back of the net. At the end of extra time, it was Italy won, England won. Oh, God, no. No, 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 not penalties. Not this way. Anything but penalties. So, yes, agonising shootout time. Italy were up first, and Berardi took the first one. He coolly stuck it in the left corner. Kane was first for England, even though he did miss that penalty against Denmark. But it was good this time. The captain fired it into the left corner. Donovan wasn't far away, though. 1-1. So, Belotti stepped up next. He went for the bottom right corner, but Pickford saved it. Harry Maguire was up, and it was surprising to see a defender taking the second penalty, but he absolutely levered it into the top corner. He even broke the camera in the process. 2-1 to England. Is there any chance we could just end it after two penalties, guys? Benucci was up next. He stuttered a bit, but hit it in the top left corner. Pickford got a little bit close, though. Rashford, who was brought on just to take the penalty, sent Donnarumma the wrong way, but he hit the post. It was all square, 2-2. Another B, Bernadeschi. What is it about Italians and the letter B? He went down the middle and scored. Sancho, another sub brought on just for penalties, but his penalty was saved by Donnarumma. Oh, it's a horrible tactical decision. It was a good height for him, really, to save that. 3-2 to Italy, so advantage Italy after four penalties. All Jorginho had to do was score, and he is Chelsea's go-to penalty taker, so we backed him to score. He went low to left, but Pickford saved it. What a save. It hit the post after the save, but it didn't go in. So that meant if Saka scored, England would still be in it. But his penalty went exactly the same as Sancho's. Donnarumma saved, and that was it. Italy won 3-2 on penalties. (sighs) So, you know, before this match, I was kind of looking forward to it. I thought this would be a nice match to watch. You know, England have done their best in the years ever. I can be relaxed for the final. It doesn't matter if Italy win. It's fine. This turned out to be the most stressful game of football I've ever watched in my entire life. And why is it stressful? Because it's the hope that kills you, right? England taking that early lead with the sure goal was like the worst thing that possibly could happen in some ways because it gave you hope that England could actually win. And then it was agonizing to watch the rest of the match. It's similar a little bit to Trippier's early goal against Croatia in the semi-finals of the World Cup in 2018 because obviously we scored early and then ended up losing. Obviously in this match we didn't actually lose after extra time we lost in penalties. But it felt like England had a really good start with that goal and then just slowly backed and backed off. So you went from that sort of 3-4-2-1 formation to like a proper 5-4-1 and England just got deeper and deeper and it felt like we were hanging on and hanging on and weren't getting the ball. And it felt like that Italy goal was coming and really that goal from Bonucci from the corner, which I think could have been defended better, although it was a bit of a scrappy one, was probably the point where Italy had possibly won the game. Although they hadn't, you know, obviously didn't score again. It felt like that was the point where England weren't going to have enough to hold on. I think Southgate did well in the sense that he changed the formation I think in extra time when he changed it from the sort of 5-4-1 style to taking one of the defenders off, going back to the formation they've done well, the 4-3-3. And that seemed to work a lot better. And England had a few chances in that first half of extra time. It looked like we might be able to turn it around. As a fan, I'm just sort of watching the extra time, just hoping something would happen, that England would somehow score because you just absolutely dreaded penalties. I mean, Italy are generally quite good at penalties. 
and England are absolutely rubbish at them. So you never really want to rely on penalties. So one thing I will say about Southgate's tactics, I think bringing on players just for penalties is a bad idea in general. Like I've seen it before where it's backfired and it's never usually going to go right. And the fact we even played like Marcus Rashford at right back for three minutes just so he could take the penalties. It just felt like you, you had all these substitutes and he didn't use them like in the extra time period when he could have you know, maybe put a few more players in, like Italy did, because Italy actually, like Mancini actually took off all three of his strikers. He took off Immobile first. I think Chiesa had a little knock and maybe, maybe Insignia had two, but it was like, you know, he made those changes and obviously turned the game around for Italy, moved, moved the attacking three around and that gave him a little bit more space behind the England defence. Uh, but Southgate, when we were on the back foot, didn't really respond to that. He was trying to stick with his... Plan A, I suppose. Uh, and, you know, it took, took a long time to get Grealish on. I think it was in into extra time when we got Grealish on. And we still had other subs we could have used, not just for the penalties, which obviously didn't work, um, but we could actually brought them on earlier in the game that could have done something. On the balance of play, I'd say Italy probably did deserve to win. I do re- feel really sorry for Jordan Pickford because he actually saved two penalties and still we didn't win the penalty shootout. That's how bad the penalties were. When you look at who took the penalties... The problem was they put a lot of pressure on Saka. You know, he's 19 years old. He's trying to take that final penalty to keep us in the game. And it's a big ask for the guy. It's definitely a goalkeeper's penalty shootout, though, with four saves on one hit in the post. Donnarumma was excellent at the other end. He, he actually got the Play of the Tournament award, which um, I, I don't know if he'd be my first pick, but actually, you know, he's been a great goalkeeper for Italy. And obviously, he's so tall that he takes up the whole bloody net, basically. It is upsetting that England got this far and just couldn't get over that final hurdle. They really pressed it to the end, though, and actually even just keeping in this game, getting it to 1-1 after extra time was probably an achievement when you consider how much Italy were getting back into the game. You would have thought they might have won it either in normal time or extra time. But we did keep it tight enough until then. You can't really rely on penalties when you're English, though, and this is a big blow, but... um, I do think Italy, if you look at the stats, they are probably the best uh, team in this tournament. I mean, they did have a little bit of luck, maybe, because they didn't really feel like the best side against Spain. But I do think they are deserving winners, have that unbeaten streak going. So we look. I guess we look forward now for England. It's, you know, it's a young side. It's, it's players having to be quite in the deep end already in their careers. So it's looking good for the future. I think, though, Qatar is going to be a really tough ask. It's nothing like playing at Wembley. Like If they won it in Qatar, that would be a hell of an achievement, as I said. So possibly England's best chance of winning a tournament now has gone, but it was a fantastic tournament for the Free Lions. You know, Sterling had a great run. We beat Germany, finally. Confident win in the quarterfinals. Actually got to a final for a change. It's really positive. You know, we look at all those teams of the past that probably had better talent on paper. Didn't get this far. You know, absolute quality players. I think Declan Rice actually had a really good game in the final. Uh, Phillips as well. That that combination midfield worked really well. Kane grew into the tournament perhaps, was a little bit quiet in the final, maybe. Uh, Luke Shaw, of course, absolutely excellent on the left-hand side and got the goal in the final. It's been a fantastic team performance. England now do have more of a squad and players that can come on, but I feel like that was perhaps not used enough or used too late. And, you know, with the likes of Grealish and co i think the future is bright for england but it's going to be a tough ask in qatar (laughs) 
So it's time for the Euro 2020 awards. Lots of interesting categories we put on polls on Twitter at YHH Euros. And now it's time to find out the results. Our first category is Best Fan. Our nominations are the shirt off Swiss fan we saw in France versus Switzerland. The French drummer from the same game, France versus Switzerland, he kind of turned around as Switzerland scored. The crying German girl from England versus Germany. And bucket hat Rob Beckett, also from England versus Germany. Well, I can tell you that you put the crying German girl in fourth place with 9.1% of the vote. Your French drummer was second with 13.6%. Bucket hat Rob Beckett did give shirt off Swiss fan a run for his money. He had a 31.8%, but the shirt off Swiss fan who really changed his uh, emotions during that game. 45.5% wins best fan. So well done to him. Our next category is best haircut. We have four nominations for this one. So we have Foden's Gaza-inspired haircut for England, Aki's rude hullet mullet for Netherlands, Hamsik's mohawk for Slovakia, and Pandev refusing to believe he's going bold for North Macedonia. So in last place was Phil Foden with 12.5% of the vote. Aki and Hamsik come in joint second with 25% each. But our winner, our most valuable Pandev, as bad WWE stats would call him, is Goran Pandev from North Macedonia, 37.5% of the vote. So North Macedonia won something at Euro 2020. Yay! Well done, Pandev. What a player he is. Going out, he's retiring now on a high by winning best haircut at Euro 2020. Our third category is Euro Song You're Tired Of. There were quite a few tracks that were overplayed during the tournament, whether it was on radio, whether it was in the stadiums, whether it was just in general or, or being on Twitter and they end up in memes. We have three main contenders over this. Three Lions by Badil Skinner and the Lightning Seeds. Sweet Caroline by Neil Diamond. Sweet Caroline. Good times never seem so good. And Seven Nation Army by the White Stripes. I could tell you in last place it was three lines with only 11.1% of the vote. I thought they might actually win this, but that's surprising because it was a lot played and everyone was using the it's coming home hashtag and all that sort of thing. But people obviously still like it. But we have joint winners for this category. Sweet Caroline and Seven Nation Army both ended on 44.4% of the vote. You always heard Seven Nation Army after that every goal at the Euros and Sweet Caroline kind of got adopted by the England fans but I'm pretty sure it started off with Northern Ireland fans using that in 2016 I remember being in the stadium in France and they were singing that now we're on to quite a competitive category best own goal we actually had loads of them in this Euros 11 in total which is more than every other Euros combined but we've shortlisted the best down to four we have Dubravka for Slovakia who palmed it in his own net against Spain 
And this time the woodwork denies Pablo Sarabia. And Dubravka has poured it into his own goal. Oh, what a gift. Sarabia with a beaming smile on his face. And Dubravka knows that that is a howler. Pedri for Spade, who made a 45-yard back pass, which Simon screwed up and went in his own net against Croatia. That's one of the most bizarre own goals we've seen this tournament. Hummels from Germany's top corner finish against France. That's great vision despite Hernandez to the far post. It's in and own goal by the veteran Hummels. And Hideki from Finland against Belgium. He kind of almost saved it but didn't. And goal line technology had to get involved on that one. Boyata up from the back. Not scored yet for Belgium. Denier up from the back. It nearly comes to Boyata. It's up the post of the wall. It's in. Belgium with a breath of the deadlock. Surely this one will count this time. Thomas from Marlon. The keeper tried to claw it back but couldn't do so. And last place is for Decky with 0% of the vote. Then we have Dubravka from Slovakia with 20% of the vote. Again, we have joint winners with Pedri and Hummels with 40% each. But for me, the best own goal will probably be Pedri's out of those two. But like I say, a lot of competition there. We now move on to Unexpected Star. This is about someone who, before the tournament, we didn't think would be a highlight. Our nominations are Ali McCoist for his fantastic commentary on ITV with Clive Tilsley. VAR, and refereeing in general, I think, for being quite consistent and actually not disrupting the game as much as you expect it to. And also for that England goal against Denmark. <laughs> Tiny football car who delivered the football to the centre circle before the game's the opening game and the semi-finals and the final. And Albertio Ivani, the Italian coach who has a unique fashion sense. Bad WWE stats said Albertio Ivani looks like he invented time travel in the 1800s and hasn't told anyone yet. So I can tell you that in last place is VAR. No one likes VAR around here. 0% of the vote. Ali McCoy's got 14.3% of the vote. Albertio Ivani got 28.6% of the vote, but... It's a landslide for a tiny football car, 57.1%. You've got to love that car. I went crazy when I saw it at the final. I was like, yes, it's a tiny football car. Brilliant. Now we move on to Prick of the Euros. Again, another competitive category. I think Prick is quite putting it lightly. You could probably come up with your own word to describe that. But our nominations are, and we only managed to, we managed somehow to uh, shortlist it to four. Boris Johnson for basically pretending to be an England fan and getting on the England bandwagon, although he was complaining about England taking the knee early in the tournament. Sam Matterface for telling people they could do what they like in the Spain semi-final and just being pretty much a crap commentator. UEFA for refusing Germany's pride requests and for flying their officials around the world and forcing countries to have a certain amount of capacity even when we're in the middle of a pandemic. And the laser pen England fan, the England fan who shone a laser pen at Kasper Schmeichel's eyes as Harry Kane was about to take the penalty against him. To be honest though, we could have probably put all England fans in there and they've already added a bit of prickness to them just last night. 
UEFA, funnily enough, in bottom place, no percent of the vote. Maybe you, you don't realise UEFA as much twats as they are. <laughs> Sam Matterface is third with 16.7% of the vote. The Laser Pen England fan got 33.3% of the vote. But the winner, deservingly so, is Boris Johnson with 50% of the vote. He's a prick for any occasion, isn't he? Bugger off, Johnson. So we move into a very fun category to talk about the most difficult name to pronounce. Uh, bear with me on this one. The nominations are Oyafaval for Spain, Tigankov, Chishkanov for Ukraine, Trikovsky for North Macedonia, and Hoiber for Denmark. Now, UEFA had an article about how to pronounce Euro 2020 quarterfinalist names correctly, so that helped me with some of those names. But Yefaval wasn't even on that list, and he's the winner of this category with 100% of the votes. You might have noticed in the semi-final, there was this whole sort of Spanish lisp going on with Yefaval or Yefaval. So I can't even say it now, Yefaval. Something like that, anyway. But I don't even know why he didn't put him on the list, because that's the most difficult name to pronounce, as this award has just proven. Our final award, this is a proper award now, Best Match, one of our only, like, you know, trying to be serious awards. The nominations are Italy versus Spain in the semi-final. Morata forward, oh no, Morata! Croatia versus Spain in the second round, that 3 free draw. Now Orsic. Chance here! Would you believe it? Pacevic has scored! Wild scenes in Copenhagen! It's 3 all. What a game! France versus Switzerland, the other 3 free draw on that uh, mega Monday. Mbappe. And Germany versus Hungary, last game of the Group F. Squared it to Goretzka. Werner's shot blocked. Goretzka! They found a way through with time ticking away from them. The substitute Goretzka with what could be a golden goal. So I can tell you that Croatia versus Spain, shockingly, has got no votes. Was it, was it on too early in the day that people didn't see it properly? Germany versus Hungary is in is in third place. Italy versus Spain, the semi-final, which had some brilliant football in, comes in second. But the winner, I can reveal, is France versus Switzerland. Yes, the Swiss upset the French on penalties after a fantastic comeback, after France made a comeback to make it 3-1, and it felt like the game was to bed. I, I agree with that completely. I think France versus Switzerland was definitely... The game of the tournament. We have one more set of honours to give out, and that's your Dream 11s of the tournament. Bad WWE Stats has gone for a team of own goals, which I actually, you can actually make a team out of people who scored own goals. All you have to do is play two keepers up front, as I will demonstrate now. If you have Radecki in goal, Hummels, Demerol, Diaz, and Kajir and Guerrero at the back, Pedri, Zakaria, Kuchko in midfield, and the two goalkeepers, Dubrovka and Chesney up front. You see, you can have a whole team of own goal scorers. 
Only Connect Wrestling said Donnarumma slash Pickford on a coin flip for goalkeeper. Mailer right back. Stones and Bonucci centre backs. Spinanzola left back. Insigni, Holbersch, Phillips, Sterling, Benzema and Sheik complete the team. That's to say, a lot, lot of uh, Italian and English dominance there. Kind of surprised about Benzema. Obviously, only played four games in the tournament. Did pretty well, though. So, here is my pick for my Dream 11. So, in goal, I'm going for Jordan Pickford ahead of Donnarumma. Had a really good final, actually, saving that those two penalties. Got really unlucky to be on the losing end of a penalty shootout if you save two penalties. So, I've gone similar at the back. Uh, Mela in as right back. Bonucci and Stones as my centre-backs. And Luke Shaw just gets the cut over Spinanzola for playing, I think, one more game. Uh, I think Luke Shaw is um, has been fantastic and really grown as a player for this tournament. In midfield, I've gone for Pedri Zuba, who set up four goals for Switzerland in this tournament. And Pogba, who had a fantastic kind of four games and uh, really played with a lot more freedom than he does at Man United. Up front, I've gone for Insignia. Schick and Sterling, I think those three players. And Schick, obviously, sort of joint top scorer, although technically not golden boot winner because he didn't make an assist with five goals in the tournament. So that's all the honours given out. And that means we are coming to a close of Years of Hurt, a Euro 2020 podcast. So looking back at the tournament, it has been a good one. We had loads of great matches, particularly in that second round and knockout stage. I've really enjoyed watching all those neutral matches. I think one of the important things about this tournament is the fan interaction. And having fans back at uh, stadiums has really helped. I, I don't know if saying safe football is too much, but you know it feels like it's football proper again. You know, Watching a whole season of Premier League football with no fans is, just doesn't seem right. And all the piped-in sound is just rubbish compared to actual atmosphere. And it really added so much to the matches. Obviously, the fans had its downsides, as we know, with the England matches and fans trying to break into Wembley and just acting like idiots or booing national anthems or just being arses, basically. That has its downsides, too. They had the, the pan-European nature of Euro 2020. It was quite the experiment. Uh, obviously, a lot of air miles. You talk about it from an environmental perspective. It wasn't too great. And when you think it's in the middle of a pandemic, it probably wasn't the best idea to be traveling from country to country where it could be spreading COVID all over the place. It also felt a little bit unfair that England had so many home games compared to the other sides in the tournament that maybe had three home games as they were lucky in the group stage. I don't think we're going to see a pan-European tournament again. It was it was kind of a sort of fun idea, I guess, and uh, it sort of worked at the start, but I think in the knockout stage it just got a bit weird because everyone was playing just anywhere and the whole the whole home advantage just went completely out the window, apart from England, really. But I, f- I felt like my interest in football was really very low before this tournament, and now I feel like it's back again and sort of be reminded how good it is and like all the drama that comes with it and just the nature of tournament football, how things can change so quickly, can have big upsets like this, you know, obviously France going out in the second round. It just makes you realise how great football is to watch. So I guess now we look forward to Qatar in 18 months' time. Yes, a Winter World Cup. What's going on there? Playing in the deserts. What will happen then? Who will win? Who will be the movers and shakers? Will Argentina, perhaps, uh, capitalise on their recent Copa America win against Brazil? Or will Italy continue their dominance, even though they failed to qualify for the last World Cup? Maybe they will continue their dominance from the Euros and do well there. 
Then you've got the likes of France, who might be coming back strong after disappointing Euros. Germany, who are going to look to rebuild following Joachim Lowe's departure. And of course, England, who've had a great tournament, perhaps an easy run, but, but a great tournament nonetheless. And then you've got the likes of Brazil, and you've also got the host nation, Qatar. Who knows, maybe they'll get a little bit of a run with the decisions. I have been thinking about what we're going to do for Qatar, whether I'm going to cover Qatar. I'm still up in the air about it because I feel like it's got so much controversy around the tournament as a whole and what they've been doing with sort of like potentially slave workers and sometimes wonder whether I should be covering it. But we'll have we'll see what happens. But I want to thank you for listening to the Years of Hurt Euro 2020 podcast. So me, Richard Carey. It's been a pleasure to make this over the last couple of weeks. has been kind of busy doing it in between work and trying to catch up all the matches. Uh, remember, you can follow the podcast at YH Euros. You can also follow me personally at SheepFM. I'm going to do various different um, audio projects in a couple of months, so check out my personal Twitter for updates on that. So for the last time for this tournament, from me, Richard Carey, it's goodbye. Goodbye.